time for Q&A for the book of Revelation. You guys ready for that? I'm not going to say that I intentionally scheduled it for the day when everyone's going to be gone. But it's not going to hurt anything. How about that? So, Anyways, and all this stuff, um, with some caveats I want to get to. Before we jump into the meat of all this, um, just, just a few kind of things to hit. Um, here's the first one. Uh, you know, today is actually called the Ascension Sunday. It, it's the day that we celebrate uh, the moment and the happening where Jesus, where he ascended up to heaven. And uh, for most of us, I think that, that that's kind of a foreign idea for most of us. But what's so powerful about it uh, for us this morning, and even as, as we go into this series, you know, it's, it's the symbol of the authority of Christ. It's a symbol of the one who earned the right to sit at the right hand of the Father. It's the one who is the only one who is worthy to bring about the conclusion in this world. He's the only one who's worthy to bring an end to death. He's the only one who's worthy to judge. Uh, he's the only one who's truly righteous. And he's the only one who God, who's, who Father God is going to entrust with the power to change all things. So, in all this kind of stuff, um, we started this morning with a verse from uh, Revelation, which is talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, if you would sum it up, it's this. There is a time that we are awaiting when God is going to make all things new, all things right. Uh, the entire book of Revelation is about the completion of the plan of God. There is a moment coming where God is going to finally finish his work of forming this world back into the image and the way and the place that he always planned for it to be. And I think right now, I think most of us, that's kind of skipping us, the way you should hear it is this. For everyone who's lost a loved one, when he makes things new, they will be returned. For everyone who's experienced sickness and cancer, when he returns, it shall cease to exist. Amen, Siri. She likes my series already. I think Siri has a question. Who is the Antichrist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, Siri, it, it is you. And actually, that, that, that's actually a great answer. All right. <laughs> we need to be able to connect to this in a real way. Um, as we start this series, I tried to encourage you. You need to let this book suck you in. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to either get scared of the book or it's easy to kind of get so busy trying to connect the dots that you miss the picture. Um, were you guys ever in grade school and, you know, had those, 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 those paintings with dots in them? And, like, the whole idea was to go from dot one, two, three, four, four, five. Okay, right. Then you got older, the dots weren't numbered anymore. So you had to kind of figure out how to connect which dots to which to make an image that makes sense. Well, sometimes we get so caught up in trying to connect the dots that we don't step back and realize that the image that we were creating, it doesn't make sense. And so uh, if you're someone who's been afraid of the book, Again, just kind of allow the Apostle John to, to kind of to open you up, to bring you in. This should encourage you. When I say new heaven and new earth, you should get excited. But, okay, we're going to work on that. If you're someone who's, who's just trying to figure out the details and when and who and what, step back. Allow the Apostle John to throw a picture in your face. Don't be so worried about trying to figure out the details. Allow the image of Christ coming to the earth to make all things new, all things right, to inspire you. Uh, the entire book of Revelation is supposed to be an experience. You should feel it, taste it, uh, see it. It should envelop you in such a way that you become so consumed with the revelation of 
Christ that you are encouraged and you are hopeful. If you find yourself being consumed with an image as anything but Christ, if it's the Antichrist, if it's the beast, if it's the rapture, if it's tribulation, you're missing the book. Amen? <sighs> Mercy. All right, you're up. I'm up. You're up. Go ahead. Well, how are y'all this morning? That's good. Uh, well, the Siri joke reminded me of a, of a story. One time we were in our pre-service huddle in Pastor Devin's office, and somebody started praying in the Spirit, and all of a sudden Siri goes, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. <laughs> I mean, it was so She'll funny. learn soon enough. Yeah, she will. We're going to get her interpreting tongues one of these days. Uh, so... I'm up here to initially talk about uh, kind of the overview of some of the views uh, surrounding the book of Revelation and also uh, what's known as the millennial reign of Christ. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts, to quote Samuel L. Is that what that was from? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, yeah. Come on, guys. You right. got to come on. Yeah. Come on with us. It's going to be a real boring Sunday if you don't come with us. All right, so let's look these, uh, these these four views up here. We've got four major views, uh, approaches to the book of, of Revelation. And they are the historicist, the idealist, the preterist, and the futurist. What? Yep. Snoring right? already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so historicist, right? This idea is that... The book of, Repel of Revelation represents kind of an unfolding of history, right? Like the seven letters uh, in the first part of the book are indicative of eras throughout church history, right? Have you ever heard anything like that before? Yeah? This was a, this was a pretty common view a long time ago, but not so much anymore. Uh, it's, it's fallen pretty heavily out of favor. Uh, but again, that's the gist, right? It's, an, it's kind of an unfolding of, of, of history in those, in those seven letters. The next one is the idealist. Do we get that one up there? All right, idealist. First part of that being idea, thoughts, images, that kind of thing, right? So the idealist view uh, focuses mostly on the imagery and the symbolism, right? It's less about any specific thing that's going to happen and more about... Uh, kind of the ongoing battle, the ongoing struggle between good and evil, you know, of, of, of Christians, to quote Pastor Devin, resisting the flow, right? That's a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> resisting the flow. It's kind of this ongoing struggle, right? So that's the idealist view in a nutshell. Uh, next up, there is the preterist view. Now, there's two forms of preterism, and it's not preterism, it's preterism. I know that threw me off for like five years as well, so odd. Uh, there's two forms of this. One of them is called full preterism, and the other one is called, what do you think it's Lukewarm called? Lukewarm preterism. Lukewarm, no, partial preterism. <laughs> so, uh, for the most part, full preterism is considered to be heretical. And the You're not a Christian if you believe it. Pretty much, right? So the reason is, full preterists well, the preterist view in general, right, is that most of the stuff that happens in the book of Revelation already happened. Mind blown. Boom. So anyway, 
Antichrist already came. So full preterism says all of it happened already, including Jesus returning, and that we currently are in the eternal state. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want the world to go on like this This forever. is him you have in New Earth. <laughs> Stink. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's not good. Partial preterism, on the other hand, uh, views m most of the book of Revelation as occurring on or before uh, the year 70 AD with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the only thing really left is the stuff that we just read about this morning in like chapters 20 through 22. Make sense? All right. So those Clear are the four. No, that, that's three. There's one more. I'm so sorry. The futurist view, right? The futurists. Who cares about that one? We don't have that one. No, that's good. It's good stuff. The futurist view, uh, they are the ones that see pretty much all of the book of Revelation as yet to be fulfilled, right? That's probably where Left most, behind book. Anyone that's read where that most book? of us probably fall into, right? Saw yeah. the movie. Yeah. Futurist. Got the commemorative cup and popcorn bowl. Exactly. Yeah. Nick, Nick Cage up on it. Nick Cage. Oh, mercy. That should be enough to drop that view if you're a futurist. Yeah. Nicholas Cage is in your movie. <laughs> All right. So those are the four major views, approaches, whatever you want to say. Uh, to how the book of Revelation is interpreted. You know, throughout this series, Pastor Devin has given kind of a, presenting a fifth way, if you will. It's not, it's not that you can't have one of these and, and also think like Pastor Devin was talking throughout this series. It's that, you know, you, we've been kind of, people often put the, the emphasis on the wrong syllable when they're talking about the book of Revelation, right? <laughs> that, that was a good one, guys. Come on. Nobody laughed. Emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. That's funny. Moving on. Four millennial views. What is millennial, right? There's this idea that Jesus is going to return to the world and rule for a thousand years. So when people talk about millennial, millennialism, not as in like me and, and whoever else is 35 and under, but like the millennial views, right? There's again, four major approaches. Number one, Oh, yeah, my graphics this up is there. so cool. You can see this up here, right? This is basically the timelines of the four major views of the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, so the top one there is called historic, right? It's called historic because for the most part, it was the view that was widely held in the earliest church. Uh, now, while they didn't really talk about this stuff a whole lot back then, uh, this was kind of the default position, if you will. There was another one that was pretty popular at the time as well, but it, again. Anyway, historic premillennialism. Post-tribulational is another word for this. Uh, the idea is that uh, at some point in the church age, the tribulation will happen. Uh, Jesus will return, set up a physical earthly kingdom for a thousand years upon the earth. And then judgment will happen, right? So you see Jesus comes before the millennial reign to set up a physical earthly kingdom. He's physically upon the earth, but after the tribulation, right? So post-tribulational premillennialism. <laughs> you got it? All right. The next one down is called dispensational or pre-tribulational premillennialism. And so this one, stop Jesus. Cheering. What? He's cheering in the back. Tell him to stop. Oh, stop cheering. It's a very popular view. Uh, so, yeah, at some point, Jesus comes back to rapture the church 
out of the world. Then there is a seven-year-long tribulation. And then he comes back again with the church kind of in tow this time and sets up a literal physical kingdom for a thousand years once more. uh, And then judgment happens, right? So again, he comes, he returns before the millennial reign, hence premillennialism, but at but also before the tribulation. So pre-tribulational premillennialism. All right, next one down is called post-millennialism. This one, uh, as you can see, there's not really any dashes anywhere in there on that one. Uh, at some point in the church age, there is, through means of influence and, and various things, you know, Christians taking positions of prominence in society, uh, there becomes a golden age of Christian prosperity, right? The world gets better and better and better because more of us are doing important things. And then Jesus comes back. Make sense? That's post-millennialism. You'll notice he comes back after the millennium. It could be literal. It could be figurative. Either way works. Uh, And then the the last one there is called amillennialism, sometimes called realized millennialism. The idea there is that... (laughs) The idea there is that... uh, uh, Jesus is currently reigning at the right hand of the Father, and that it's a the, the millennium is a figurative idea, right? He's he's currently reigning there. The millennium is realized, uh, and then he comes back at the end. So there's it's very like postmillennialism and amillennialism are are very similar, as you can see. Amillennialism you could say is like postmillennialism, except they're they're very pessimistic, whereas Post mills are very optimistic, right? It's going to get better and better. Arnold's like, no, it's going to get really bad. Yeah. Yeah, good job. So that's that. Approaches to Revelation, approaches to the millennial views. So uh, we've got, let's see, question number one, right? Mm-hmm. This one's going to be for you. Hit me. All right, let's see this question. Is it necessary to expect a literal physical return of Jesus of Nazareth? Tag. That was a good one. You got, I mean, come on, man. It's half empty in here. Y'all wish that you guys were out on the lake. Okay, so, you know, we have to say jokes and have fun with this, because if not, it's, it's going to be. Just how'd you like the graph? Did you guys like that graph we had? So does it all make sense now? No? Okay. Um, we had to kind of start with that, because most of the answers that some of us in this room are wanting are based on where you are in all of that. Does that make sense? The, um, which camp that you kind of fit in now, as far as the way that you understand it now, and oddly, everyone in this room fits in one of those camps. You just don't know it yet, okay? As far as how you want to answer questions about the Antichrist or about the rapture, things like that, you already have a camp. So we had to kind of explain that a little bit to kind of explain that the answer is going to be different depending on which one of these groups you fall into. Does that make sense at all? I wasn't trying to bore you intentionally. It's just important for you to know the answer can be very different depending on where you are. Okay, first question. The physical return of Jesus of Nazareth, is it necessary? Mercy. Um, Is it necessary? I I almost want to ask the person the question and return to that. Is it necessary to be a Christian? Is that the question? Okay, whatever. Okay, here's what I'll say is this. I would hate to not expect this. Here's why. Because for me, the, the resurrected physical body of Jesus 
is such a huge crux in the way that I understand the entire Bible. Um, for me, it is the symbolism of what God plans to do with all of us, meaning from Genesis, the moment that, that this God, this, this being begins to put form and face and flesh onto his desires and his ideas, and he begins to create these beings in this world, and this, this story starts for us. And then we, we see the story where this great thing is now messed up and it's marred and the heat, you know, we have this idea where he even considers throwing it away, the flood, right? And then we see where he decides that maybe he's not going to throw this thing in the trash can. Maybe we are worth saving. Maybe this thing, this universe and, and planet are worth saving. And then this idea to where he's so willing and desires to keep this, to keep you, to keep me, to keep all of this, that he even comes and takes this image, the incarnation, right, where God puts on form and flesh and face, right? And we see this image where he's willing to take this on, and then we see the ultimate image where he dies, but yet his resurrected body, when he defeats death, and he brings the only image we have of how he's going to make things new, meaning the resurrected body of Jesus, this body that shows up, and he has scars, and he walks, it he walks through walls, but he also eats fish. I think that truth right there, the fact that Jesus eats fish, should tell you everything about the revelation in the future. Sound good? To me, the fact that Jesus comes back and he has this body and he eats fish, <laughs> you guys are like, what is this, a fish thing? It tells us that this is the, the first glimpse that we get of what the new heaven and new earth is going to be, meaning his body, this body that is still familiar to us, shows us that in some way, shape, or form, what we know, the existence that we know, you know, if you've been here for 20 years, uh, been here for 90 years, there's something about this existence, this tangible touching and knowing and seeing and smelling and feeling that is going to be kept. There's something about that's valuable. And in that, it also tells me that there's something about me, something about this planet, something about this universe that's valuable to God. And so, in essence, expecting the physical return of Christ is the, the capstone, the final period um, on how the hope of a Christian is to be formed and how we're to live. Um, don't have time for this question in depth, but if he's going to salvage this earth and make it new, not throw it away, how should I treat this earth? Oh, so, so again, for me, the physical... Jesus returning with this resurrected body that's familiar but new. That's, that's the same, but it's not the same. This, to me, it, it, it builds my hope and expectation. Got it? Knock that one out. Your turn. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. This is, this is, this is clunky. All right, here we go. It's question two, Pastor Zach. What happens to Christians when they die while we are still waiting for Jesus to return. Are we sleeping or present? Okay, so what happens to Christians when they die while we're still waiting for Jesus to come back? All right. Uh, so we all know that the resurrection happens when Jesus comes back, right? So we're not, we're not too concerned about that. Uh, there's this period of time after you die in which your physical body is dead, 
right? What's going on with your physical body before then God gives you a renewed or resurrection body? Uh, one, of our, one of our favorite authors, uh, writers, theologians, N.T. Wright, he calls this you know, life after life, life after, after, after death. death, right? Life after life after death. Life after life after death. He tries so, to make things confusing. So our question today is what happens to us in that period of time before life after life after death, before we get our resurrection body. So uh, I've got a handful of passages here. Well, not a handful, just a, just a few uh, from the New Testament to illustrate some stuff. We've got Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 and 20, or to 24. It says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. All right. Luke chapter 23, verses 29 to 43, 39 to 43, excuse me, says this. We get this one up. Uh, we got a little too much up there. Let's skip ahead some. Starts off with one of the criminals who hung there or hurled insults at him. So Jesus is up on a cross. He's got the criminals on his sides. And one of them was hurling insults at Jesus. He says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since, you under the same, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay? One more, John 14, verses 1 through 2. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, uh, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. So, that, believe it or not, those three passages are about the extent of what the entire Bible has to say on the subject of heaven. There's a few more things, little bits and pieces here and there, but that's about it. Because throughout the New Testament specifically, there doesn't really appear to be this concern or interest in what happens to us immediately after we die while we're waiting for the resurrection, right? It's an important question, sure, but the New Testament wasn't too terribly concerned with it, in my opinion. Uh, so these three passages, they teach us a couple things. Number one, Jesus is there, right? Number two, it's far better there than it is here right now. And number three, we'll get to be there with him and there's plenty of room for all of us, right? So that's heaven in a nutshell. That's paradise, heaven, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that's what I think it's going to be like while we're waiting for the resurrection. We'll be with, with, with Christ, in heaven. I think I answered that differently during the heaven series. I think we disagree. Do we? But that's okay because I know who's right. That's cool. I mean, what ifs? So, uh, I mean, and he's welcome to, to, to speak up as well, of course. No. Uh, so, but beyond this, uh, again, there doesn't really seem to be too much, in my opinion. Uh, you know, the question of, you know, what are we experiencing? What are we feeling in this place? And those kinds of things. I honestly, I don't know, again, because I don't feel like the Bible says too much about it. 
uh, you know, I don't know if my grandma can, can, can see me right now, you know. I don't know if she's able to look down on me and say, oh, that's, that's, look at what Zach's doing, that's so cool, you know, or hey, don't do, don't do that, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't, I don't beard. know. Do what? That's what she's saying. What's she saying? Shave that beard. Sh- I don't think so. I have worked way too hard on this meager thing I've got called a beard, if you can even call it that. Uh, so yeah, you know, I, I tend to think that it's much more likely that she is just in, in resting in just the purest peace, you know, in Christ's presence, uh, and that she probably isn't too terribly concerned about me right now. <laughs> so, uh, but again, you know, that's, this is not, that's not the end. We know, we know the resurrection is the end, uh, that heaven is not our ultimate hope, but that actually it's kind of a holding place for us uh, until the end of the world. And, and Pastor Devin did go talk about this stuff at length in his series on heaven. Very well. Yeah, totes. Yeah. So and you can actually find that on our website, gracealma.org slash heaven. That's All right. a good plug. Yeah. All right, so, what's the next one? Next question. I think it's question number three. What do we got? What will life be like in the renewed earth? So after we're resurrected... Get do talk we talk about fish again? Do we get new bodies? Will we have memories of our past life? Will we know our loved ones? Will there be sex? What about naps? Right? <laughs> All right. Whoever asked this question went straight from sex to naps. Yeah. No, this was kind of- <laughs> oh, come on. That's good. That's funny. Um, as far as with some of these answers, just remember, um, we are shooting the gray area in Scripture, okay? This is not most of what we're saying, uh, um, I would not say that we can back up 100%. But the truth is, is that no one who has any view on these things can bring it, you know, 100% say, hey, I promise you this is how it's going to be. We just don't know. There's not enough in there. Um, um, I think uh, in the Heaven series, I went in depth on some of these questions. So if you're curious about that, uh, you can check that out. Okay. What is it going to be like in the renewed earth. Okay, um, how did I summarize that last time? Um, Favorite Bibles, go to Luke 24, verse 37. Yep, you know what I'm going to talk about. Luke 24, verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Which, by the way, let's pause right there. That's how most of you have actually pictured heaven and the end of all things, okay? Spirits, ghosts, crazy bright lights. That's how most of us imagine it, right? So, what what's Jesus do? He says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have flesh and bones. Oh, I love it. Um, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not believe, uh, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he said, I cannot eat this. I am spirit. Is it up there? Oh, good. Okay. No, he ate it in their presence. Amen. So excited. There's food. We can eat. Okay. Now, again, there's so much that we do not know. Again, we are just trying to take some long shots in the dark here, okay? The clearest image that we have um, of, of what to expect in, in the new heaven and the uh, new earth is the resurrected body of Christ. We do not see anything in Scripture that says his body changed um, 
when he ascends to heaven, okay? The resurrected body of Christ is the image that we have of what it looks like when God takes a human body through death to the other side, when God prepares this being for eternity with him. Okay, so this is the image that we have. He has flesh and bone, but don't forget, they're freaking out calling him a ghost because he's just walked through a wall. Okay, so like they had right to freak out, okay? But the way that he gets them to calm down, he says, hey, just sit down and let's eat together. This is familiar, just like we used to, okay? So um, my answer to this is simple. Um, we need to expect it to be familiar but new. Make sense? Familiar but new. And, you know, I love that because if you think about the ways that we connect to people, um, conversation, touch, food, sitting, listening, sharing, uh, things like that, um, doing things together, okay? That's how we've learned to connect and to get to know people and to be known. And I believe that this is the image that the book gives us. Um, Revelation ends with this image of the holy city. And, I, and for me, that image just kind of speaks volumes to me because what we have in a city is a place where humans, they interact. They live and they work and they know and they are known and they, they do life in a city. I mean, there's hustle and bustle. There's coming and going. There's relating. There's, you know, this city is a place where we get to be in relationship with God and, of course, each other. And I think that that is the heart of what the Scriptures show us. Uh, it's the heart of the model that Jesus, um, he shows us in the Scriptures. And I, I think it's something to look forward to. I think if the final image was clouds, bright lights, and we're all singing songs, because again, the, the image is in the book, right? Yes? But that's not the last image, is it? No. <laughs> Come on, that's good news. We all love worship, right? But, I mean, like, some of you can handle 15 good minutes, 30 good minutes, an hour, woo! Some of you guys are the warriors, right? But, I mean, can you handle 1,000 years, 10,000, same song, same chorus? Let's go back in the tag, you know? Okay, come on, you guys got to laugh. Okay. So we get to live. I mean, there is life happening, okay? Um, and so I think that's crucial. As far as the details of it, uh, the naps and... What was it? Naps? Sex? What, what else was it? Was it, uh... <laughs> That's all I wanted to know. All I... Um, you know, again, we're, we're kind of shooting out here. Um, but we will have bodies, and it is about relationships. It is about intimacy and knowledge. I just don't know if it's going to take that form. Who knows? Um, naps are a good thing. Um, depending on how you understand certain verses in the Bible, uh, you know, your loved one right now who's not here on the earth can either be present with Christ or asleep. Apostle Paul says both. Okay, so we don't really know if they're in a state of sleeping or if they're present, if they're in paradise or if paradise is waiting for us. And we don't even want to talk about paradise and purgatory, do we? Okay, let's not talk about that today. That's a whole other discussion. Okay, so I would say it's safe to hope. If you love sex and naps, hope for it. Okay, let's move on. All right, so question number four for you. I'm getting out of here. Okay. Uh, oh, Lord, this is more serious. Where are we uh, in the end times timeline now? When do the end times actually start? Oh, my goodness. This is where the charts come in, people. We're going to bring that image back up, I think, for this one. Where are we now 
in the end times timeline. When do the end times actually start? All right. The Matrix. Yeah. Where we are now, people. Okay, no one laughed at that it's one. Like, that was sad. I, I don't, I, we're different, man. The Matrix? I mean, they didn't even laugh at Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's right. Okay, it's weird now. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> let's put that graphic back up there, the Millennial yes. Views graphic. Everyone looked at the graphic. Yay! It doesn't even fit on the screen. I messed it up. I'm so sorry. All right, so one thing that all of these views have in common is this. We are in the end times now. Cool? We have that in common. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just be like, cool, and we're done? We're all waiting. Right. But no, we have to be like, What no, else do you need I to need, know? We're waiting. Okay, like we're all sitting around <laughs> waiting, you know? That's, right. about, that's about all we have in common from there. It's so we nice. all believe that the end times is, is now. It started with you know, kind of the resurrection of Jesus way back in the day, you know, a couple thousand years ago. And then at some point he's going to come back and there'll be judgment, which again, if you remember, judgment is a good thing, not a bad thing. I mean, it's bad if you're a bad person, but it's good. If you're here and not out in the lake, judgment is exactly, a good thing. Right? You guys are, you guys are good. Yes. Yeah. And then we enter into the eternal state, right? So According to these various timelines, where are we now? Uh, well, we're before the gray part. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it could be amillennial. Right. I mean, if we're post-mill or amill, if we're amill, we're in the gray part, and we've always been in the gray part since Jesus left, right? Uh, but if we're post-mill, maybe we're in the gray part, maybe we're not. I'm not really sure. Uh, I mean, as far as I can see on the world stage, there's not a really a whole lot of really good Christian role models. It, yeah, we we'll just leave yeah. it. Let's um, just leave that. Let's just leave it right where it is. How about that? Yeah. So, yeah, and the other two, you know, we're not tribulation yet, I don't believe. So, yeah, we're before that even. So, we're still, I mean, it seems like it's pretty early, but at the same time, with the other two views, all that could change almost like instantly, right? Because... Jesus could show up and rapture us out of the world. And I think post mills had some struggles in the last in motion. 15, 20 years, I think, too. Because, uh, you know, here in the States, you know, um, at the golden era, um, Billy Graham era, how about that, right? Where, like, you know, had TBN and Billy Graham, and, you know, it looked like everything was going up, right? And then, uh, yeah, we've had, like, the last 15 years, right? Yeah. Okay, so... I think some people are having trouble with that these days. Well, and even then, uh, you know, post-millennialism was very popular in colonial America. Yeah. You know, things like Manifest Destiny, you know, we're on a mission from God to kind of bring the kingdom into the world. And, and in the Civil War. And then, you know, kill people bring the in kingdom, the process. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And to the South and to the North. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys see how this works, right? And so, like, we're all on God's side until yeah. we realize we're not because we're murdering people. <sighs> right? Sound like the last crusade? Okay, okay. Sorry. I, no, I think that's it. I okay. mean, where are we? That you feel like I answered the question? No. Before the gray. He part? dodged it completely, didn't he? Skillfully, though. All right. What's no, the next? No, no, no. It, no, it's fine. You got to talk about rapture, brother. All right. You, what's you the next go. question? Give it. Give it to me. Uh, come on. What do we got? Uh, okay. So, at what point will the rapture happen? What will it be like? <laughs> Have you ever done drugs? 
I'm kidding. It's a joke. Complete joke. So, of course, I get Complete this joke. question. I wish we could have brought the couch up here so I could hide behind it. Uh, you can hide behind me when you get down. Yeah, you're like a couch. You might as well be. Not because you're soft, but because you're large. And you know what I'm saying, right? I don't think you, I'm you, large. You, you got I'm not it. Too soft. Yeah, I don't lounge on him. I promise. Things are very uncomfortable. I don't, I don't think can we get raptured oh. already? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've still got that graphic up there. No? All right, so taking a look at this graphic again, it's helpful. Uh, you can see in the dispensational timeline that the rapture happens before the tribulation, right? So before kind of crap hits the fan, Jesus comes back and he's like, you guys are good. You don't have to go through all this mess. And yeah, so that's when the rapture happens in the dispensational timeline. Uh, where am I in my notes? I forget. I can't help you. Yeah. Uh, so in this perspective, this great tribulation in which God pours out his wrath or the trampling of the wine press corresponds to uh, Revelation chapters or chapter 14, verses 17 through 20, uh, which is up here. Boom. There you go. So another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle. That's hard to say. And gather the clusters of grapes like from the earth's vine. Because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city. So that's kind of the God's wrath, right? The winepress of God's wrath. This is the great tribulation, right? Revelation 14, 17, 20. So it makes sense that if in that timeline the rapture happens just before then, maybe we'll find the rapture in the verses just before there, right? Well, we do. Verses 14 through 16. Whoa. Oh, oh there we go. It says, uh, I looked... And there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold in his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Man, that is so hard to say. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. So we have here like... The everyone's thrilled already. Can you see their faces? That's thrilled. the best part of being up here. You can look at their faces. Oh, I know, right? No, I mean we did this with youth forever, though. That was so terrific. they're always like it's worse than youth. I promise. <laughs> it's a great training ground. So, in this view, uh, you've got this this harvesting, right? The rapture, and then the wrath wine press thing, right? So you're lucky if you get sickled. Yeah, you, you wanted to be Like You're sickled. lucky if he cuts you. Right. Like That's the lucky ones. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what will it be like, the rapture? <laughs> that was the part of the question. There are basically two, two passages in the, in the New Testament that deal with this. Number one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. It says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
Then there's Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, uh, verses 37 to 41. Sorry, my, my son is sick this morning and my wife was texting me. Uh, 37 to 41, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the, at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two of them will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. You've heard both of these passages before. I'm sure you've read, read them hundreds of times. Uh, mm, I hadn't seen your hand. That's all I want. No? Hey, we got Two. someone faithful. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. Yeah, read some more Man, of the Bible, dude. For real. Goodness gracious. There's a lot more to it. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Yes, yes. Find some pastors who preach on better stuff, man. So, all right. Just, just dive. Just go for it. All right, man. Everyone, hold on. You love us. We can disagree. This is a gray area. It's all about Christ. Mind's about to be blown. Jump. Yeah, yeah. You know, this can be kind of disorienting, what I'm going to say. And you don't have to agree with me. It can be kind of disorienting. I know what that's like to go through and have a, a, a very, like a core belief challenged and to rethink it and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I, I can't make sense of the world right now. I have to go cry in a corner. I've done that. It's cool. Uh, so bear, bear Great with intro. me. Great intro. Great intro. Bear with me. We have corners all over here if you need to go cry. We do. We've got several. Uh, Having gone over this, these two passages, I'd like to backtrack a little bit and take a closer look at them to see maybe if, if something else is going on here, all right? Uh, the Matthew passage, of course, is where uh, we get the title for those famous left-behind books, right? One, one taken, one left behind. So the comparison that Jesus makes in this passage is to the days of Noah, Noah and the flood. So let me ask you a question. If you want to put that, it's still up there, isn't it? In this example that Jesus gives us, who is taken and who is left behind? Anyone. Justin, I know you can see it, can't you? Read it. What, who is it? Who's taken? Yes, one. Thank you. One. She's like, this is a trick question. No, they're not. In the, in, the, in the story of Noah, right, who was taken? No. It says the flood came and took them all away. Those who were not aware of it, those who ignored, were taken. Noah and his family were left behind. It's right there in the passage, right? Oh, about to cry. Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. So yeah, first off, that's disorienting. You're like, wait, what? How in the world has it come to mean something completely opposite? I don't, I don't really know. Uh, because so, we're staying here, remember? He's going to right. new heavens and new earth. So in He's this, not taking us away. He's coming down. Remember that? The whole imagery? And so everyone who gets to be a part of what he's doing here gets to stay. Yeah, you don't have to go away. The idea is to be in the city, not on the outside. You want right. to be here, not taken away. 
So in this example, being left behind was actually a good thing. You wanted to be left behind. Uh, so moving on from there in 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll go back to that one once more. If we look at that in its greater context, starting in about verse 13, uh, we can see something else that's at, 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 kind of at play here. Uh, verse 13 is, is, this is Paul. He was asked some questions. Uh, and he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. That's sleep. where that came from, right? So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the, of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left, uh, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So here Paul is responding to some questions that he's received about some concerned believers in his congregation about uh, what's going to happen to their friends and family that have already died. Because these people were living in a time they literally expected Jesus to come back before they died. Because he also told them he would. Right. This generation will not pass away before these things come to pass. Jesus said that. So people start dying and they're going, what? Oh my gosh, what about Uncle Bob? Right? So Pastor Paul comes in and says... He says this, right? So, what's going on here? He pulls together uh, a number of metaphors in verses 16 to 17, there's three of them there to make a really beautiful point. First, there's this mimicking of, of Moses on Mount Sinai uh, in which God comes down from heaven. Notice the same language is there, right? Isn't it? Yes. Yes. God comes down from heaven. Uh, Moses meets him there. Moses goes up, but he doesn't go any higher. Uh, and then Moses then mimics that himself and comes down from above to bring this special thing from God. So there is this mimicking of, of, of Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, this repeated downward trajectory of God's awesome thing towards us humans. And, yeah, and it's hard for us to get this, but this is comforting to them. It's almost like if I'm trying to explain to you something, if you're, if you're afraid, if my son is scared, I'm trying to use an image he's familiar with. So, you know, so what I'll use is, you know, I'll use a story that he knows. And I'll use that story and say, hey, look, things are going to turn out the way it did in the story that you're so familiar with. Because, again, I'm trying to comfort him. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're afraid, you're scared. Here, um, think about this image that's comforting to you, and here's how it's going to happen. Just why he's adopting these things. That's why it's foreign to us, because that's not comforting to you, is it? Right. Like, what? What about Moses? Moses is going to come down from Mount Sinai. Cool. Are you comforted? Yes. Absolutely not, just, right? Just uh, okay. But yeah, that's, that's absolutely the point. It's comfort, right? Luke's going to beat Vader. Yeah. Okay, I mean, uh, does that make sense a little bit? Again, you know, it, okay. Vader's going to be redeemed. It's comforting. Yeah. Because <laughs> everything's brand new so for them. the second image that he takes is from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. It says this, In my vision at night I looked... 
And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So you see, again, that same kind of language is couched there in that Daniel 7 passage. happening now. Everything we've been waiting for since the prophet Daniel, I told you it was Jesus, and here's how it's going to look. Absolutely. So these clouds symbolize the power and authoritative judgment of God that he's about to rescue his people, okay? Because stop right here. I mean, okay, why in the world should there be trumpets? Are you literally expecting monster trumpets the size of Florida to be blowing? Why are we going to fly? Is heaven up there? Honest answers? I mean, come on. Is heaven up there? If I start flying right now with a jetpack, am I going to hit heaven eventually? Past Mars, past Uranus, past the sun. Am I going to hit heaven? I didn't mean it like that. I mean, am I? I mean, come on. I mean, come on. Talk to me. And why is that to be cloudy? Why can't it come back on a sunshiny day? Why are there clouds? Symbolism. Yeah. Because each of these things mean something. Yeah. Heaven, I mean, if you wanted to think about it, it's kind of like a different dimension of the same thing. I mean, we can't even get into that yet. Whoa. Can't even get into that yet. Talk about that at Starbucks on Tuesday, which, by the way, that's my birthday, so come buy me coffee. Again, you better bring your questions about rapture on Tuesday. For we'll real? sit there for hours. It's very important to many people. So what applied to Israel and Daniel, you know, Paul takes this and says to this to these Christians facing persecution and and, and, you know, facing despair. Uh, so the last one is one that's taken from Roman culture. You know, Rome, Rome was an empire, right? And so there's this image of an emperor who visits a city. Uh, the people of that region would have gone out to meet him, to usher him into their home in a royal procession in the open air, right? Think about the palm branches when Jesus come in on the donkey. Yeah. Same thing. Same, Same kind of image. stuff there. So I believe that Paul is using this imagery to speak of the church ushering in the return of the king, which is a great book, too. Uh, nobody. Nobody. No responses? Good movie. Lord of the Rings fans, Tolkien? Huh? Yeah. About the same thing, pretty much, by the way. Hey. Uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien hid these same things in their stories, by the way. Yes, they sure did. It's all in there. Okay. So, the rapture... I'm not talking pop culture anymore. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> the rapture, as it's commonly understood, is simply not there. It's not there. You better, like, go out the back door after church. So, to be absolutely clear, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't return. I'm not saying that at all. I affirm that with every ounce of my being. That's what but I that, talked about with the physical return of Christ. Yeah. That's what I was affirming. The physical so, return of Christ. But as we can see here in this passage, Jesus returns in order to resurrect his people and inaugurate his eternal reign upon the earth. There's not two separate things that I can see anyway. It's just once. Jesus comes back, resurrection, bam, moving forward. So here's the thing. Uh, prior to about 1820, Literally nobody in the church believed this. Uh, there was a, a, a revival in Scotland, and a teenage girl uh, was, had a, had claimed to have a vision of 
of the church being raptured up before tribulation, so on and so forth. There was a guy there named John Nelson Darby who became rather enamored with this thinking and, and uh, he began to talk about it a lot in his trips into the U.S. Uh, beyond that, there was uh, C.I., oh no, D.L. Moody became, came into contact with, with, with Darby, it founded the, the, the Moody Bible Institute. Again, just the theology really spread out from there all over the world. And there was C.I. Schofield, right? I'm sure you've heard of Schofield. If not, the he, Schofield Bible, the Schofield Reference Bible. He invented this idea that what if we had more than just chain references in our Bible, but you actually had like headings, like Jesus predicts the rapture and, you know, study notes in the bottom. If you've ever had a study Bible like that, like the NIV study Bible, you have Schofield, Schofield to think. It's a brilliant idea. The thing is, everyone else thought so too. And they were like, yeah, let's buy this. And so their study consisted of only studying Schofield's ideas about his theology. This yeah. theology. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't neutral, it was very slanted. And so it really took off here in the US especially. Of course later we had novels and books like the late great planet Earth and the Left Behind series and, and again popularity just soars. So I wanna stress uh, the rapture theology also known as dispensationalism is a, is a pretty recent phenomenon in church history. Again it's uh, what 150, 160 years old. Uh, there are 1,800 years of church history in which this idea wasn't even around. Uh, that should cause us to pause and think, I think, you know, at times. So, uh, yeah. Again, I know that some of you can be upset at, mm -hmm. at what I've said here. I understand. It's totally okay. We can still be friends if, if it's okay with you. <laughs> uh, I know that can seem, I know this can seem odd because maybe for some of you, it's, it's maybe the only thing you've ever known. Maybe it's you probably didn't even hear the word dispensationalism, like there was a different kind of idea before this morning. I don't, I don't know. But again, if that's you, if you have any questions about this, I do encourage you to come see us on Tuesday, and we will talk about it until you don't want to talk anymore. Cool? And you cool. can buy me coffee because it's my birthday. All right. So, what do you guys think? <laughs> I expected silence. Let's go ahead and stand. We've got two more questions, but we don't have time for that. Um, so here's the thing in all this kind of stuff. Remember, this is, this is all gray area. Anyone who stands up here, including myself, and tells you, hey, I know for a fact that this, this, and this, and this, and this, you're, you're shooting in the dark, okay? Um, you know, Pastor Zach and I have confidence in the reasons that we kind of have the, the understandings that we do in Scripture, but at the same time, um, all Scripture must be approached with humility, Okay, uh, you know, we do not have the ability to master the most complex piece of literature that spans thousands of years in different cultures and languages and to get it all absolutely right. Okay, there's no one person who gets it all right. Okay, so and all this kind of stuff. If, if you found something that kind of provoked you in a good way, if you're excited, if, if, if the image of, of God returning uh, to make all things new is exciting to you, again, uh, come talk to us. At the same time, if there's things that bothered you, if you're frustrated, if you want to push back and say, well, what about this verse and what about this detail? Uh, I promise you that we'd love to talk about that uh, with you. Um, and so again, uh, Tuesday night, 6.30 Starbucks, be there. If you are offended or upset and you do not show up to talk with us, you have a problem with the scriptures, my friend, okay? If you're offended at anything, you have the responsibility to come to us so we can reconcile because that matters more than our understandings of rapture or the return or the rain or any of that kind of stuff. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're here, and we thank you that we are going to receive by the Spirit the message 
of the book of Revelation. We ask that we would be encouraged, that we would be a people full of hope, that we would wait eagerly, awaiting a time when you will make all things right again. And we ask that we would be people who, by the Spirit, are able to stay faithful, that we would follow the way of the slaughtered lamb, that we would be faithful to following the model of Christ on the cross in every detail of our life. 